Hey, good to see you. We're the Gypsy Church. You've got to act like gypsies once in a while. Good to see you. That's a little bit better. Hey, we are on a journey through the book of Exodus, and it is a crazy journey. And it only took Israel 40 years. We think we can pull this one off in 39. That's good news, right? But right now we're in the Ten Commandments, and uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to give you a wilderness report. Here's the first one. See if you've ever heard this before in your life. Are you ready? You can be in the middle of a journey. Oh, good. You caught on. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. Everything about you is going to trust your five senses. Everything about you is going to trust what you have experienced in the past. It is not indicative of what God wants to do in your life today or tomorrow. If you failed yesterday, it does not make you a failure, nor is it indicative that you will fail tomorrow. God is always a God of new beginnings, and I believe today, more than any other day since we've been meeting, that God wants to do something new in some people's lives. I really do. I think some of you are struggling with some things you don't even know how to get out of. You're dealing with some dilemmas and some heartbreaks that only the Holy Spirit of God can deliver you from. And you've tried everything you know. You've pleaded with God. You've cried. You've worked on it. You've tried over and over different things. You've read books, gone to seminars, and yet you've never had a breakthrough because it's never really been a breaking down of the spiritual bondage that comes up against you. You see, when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he meant it. He didn't mean you could just have a, a little bit of a Christian ethic in your life, be a good person, a good neighbor, and go to heaven when you die. He meant more than that, don't you think? Here's the second thing, and the journey involves every dimension of your being. There's no part of your being that, that this journey won't come up against, won't influence in some way. And then the other side of it is the journey will visit every dimension of your heart. There's some parts of your heart that are closed right now. They're dark right now. They're calloused right now. You've got to open the light up and say, Holy Spirit of God, shine your light on me, in me, and through me, and transform me that I might walk in the power of the Spirit of God. Ten commandments, not ten suggestions. Ten commandments. I always laugh a little bit when I talk to somebody, and I'll, I'll talk to them about their spiritual life, and they say, I keep the ten commandments. No, you don't. By the time you figured them out, you'd already broke most of them, right? How about this one? Some of you are really going to feel righteous right now when I read the first one because you said, that's not me. Here's how it goes. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. And you go, I didn't do that. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Let's see what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whoever looks at a woman to lust her after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You must be guilty, girl. <laughs> Here's the story, though. Think about it like this. He doesn't get you off the hook because you look like you're righteous. He says, this thing about walking with God is about the heart. 
Not about external behavior. That will come, but it has to start with the heart. Sometimes we get self-righteous, like in John chapter 8, these Pharisees brought this woman who was, they say, caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus bent down and he began to write something in the dirt. We don't know exactly what he wrote, but whatever he wrote, the oldest, from the oldest to the youngest, began to leave. I think maybe he was writing dates and times where those guys had committed adultery. Whatever he wrote, they got the message. And then he looked around and he says, where are, your, where are your accusers? And he said, they've all left. And he says this in, in John chapter 8 and verse 8. He was without sin, let him cast the first stone. You see, what he wants us to do is guard ourselves against self-righteousness. Guard us against saying th things like this, well, I would never do that. Oh, yes, you would. Given the right set of circumstances, if you wouldn't do that, you'd do something else. Here's the good news. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means we're all in the boat that's sinking. And we're all trying to put our, you know, a finger in the, in the hole to kind of stop the water from coming in. And God says, you can't, but I can lift the boat up and put it on the shore. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's pretty good news, right? So let's all just kind of admit we are all sinners. Can you all agree to that one? You say, yeah, but I'm not as big a one as that guy sitting next to me. Well, that may be true. But how many sins does it take to separate you from God? Just one. Okay, how about this? John chapter 8 and verse 11. Neither do I condemn you. So Jesus said, I'm not in the condemning business. I'm in the restoration business. I'm in the restoring business. I'm in the fixing business. But remember this. Sin no more. In other words, quit doing that. All right? Okay, you did that. I can't, we can't change anybody's yesterday. But we can certainly have some measure of control over today. Amen? We can take today and say, what am I going to do with my today? I want to give you some questions that I've, uh, I've been asked through the years, and they are just replete. Here's one of them. If I live with my boyfriend or girlfriend, is that adultery? I don't know. Are you having sex with them? That's not adultery, that's fornication. If they're married, that's adultery. Got it? Is that wrong? Depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to God, he frowns on it. How about this one? God created sex, so why is it wrong? It's not wrong, it's when it's in the wrong context it's wrong. If I've committed adultery, can I be forgiven? Absolutely. Absolutely. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, Scripture says. What about pornography? Is that wrong? Do you really want me to answer that one? The word over there in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9, where it talks about this idea of adultery, it actually uses the word pornea, which is where we get our word pornography. He condemns that too. Because you arouse a desire you cannot righteously fulfill. How can we safeguard our marriages? Here's an interesting statistic. Marriages seem to fail at about a 50% rate, it seems. 
Do you know that a couple that prays together, even if it's for five minutes every day, that percentage drops from 50% to 5%. Think about that. That's a whole lot easier than going to a counselor the rest of your life. Amen? It's a whole lot easier than going through a divorce. Now, guys are a little bit macho. They think they can't really pray with their wives or they can't pray that often. It's not as hard as you think. And think of the benefits that come back to it. All right, let's jump into the sermon here. Let's look at the divine pattern that God has set. Someone has said there are three rings of marriage. There's the engagement ring, there's the wedding ring, and there's the suffering All right? Now, we don't want to get to that third one, amen? We want to bypass that and just stay in, the, in this happiness. The second most decision that you will ever make in your lifetime is who you marry. The first most important decision you will ever make is what God you will follow. You see, you might acknowledge the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, but if you don't follow that God, it really doesn't matter. If you excuse away the things that are found within Scripture, what difference does it make? That's not really your God, is it? Your God is your emotions, your feeling, your desires. And when that lust reaches a, a pinnacle point in your life, what you do is you do what is best for you. And you think, well, I can always be forgiven. You can, but you do damage along the way. What we want to do is we want to guard our hearts. I love that story there where God creates Adam. And then he has them name all the animals. Now, can you imagine this scene? They're coming by two by two. He's looking at, you know, elephants. He's looking at giraffes. He's looking at all these different things. And he's thinking to himself, there's nobody for me. There's no one like me. And what God does, he puts him to sleep. And I think God delayed this creation of Eve for a reason. He aroused something in Adam by delay. One of the greatest things you can do is delay doing what you want until God gives you the okay. So he puts him to sleep. Remember, after everything that, after each day that God creates, he says, you know, it was good. It was very good. He says, this is good. This is good. So what does he do? He puts Adam to sleep. He takes a rib from his side. He creates Eve. He wakes up next to a woman that's fully unclothed. And he said, this is very good. This is a good thing. And it wasn't until sin that shame came in and they realized something was wrong. So God has this perfect plan, and this plan is that we are created in the image of God, made in the image of God. We are not to diminish the image of God in this world. We diminish it by sin. We take away from this reflective glory of God in our life. Because, you see, we are created in marriage to, to be of one flesh. That means there's something. It means more than you can start looking like each other when you get old. I said that to Tammy. I said, I think we're starting to look like each other. And she goes, oh, no, I hope not. <laughs> not exactly my greatest moment of encouragement. But you're right. I do not want to marry someone that looks like me, babe. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. It's a covenant. You say, well, what about me? I've been married like three times before, and now I'm married. What should I do? Love your wife. Be faithful to your wife. 
honor God. You can't change yesterday. You have control over today. You know what intimacy is? Intimacy is the mutual merging of souls that continues on and on to ever-increasing depths in your life. The merging of souls, your mind and your will and your emotions, they start to come together. In Ephesians 5.25, it says this, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. You know how Jesus proved that he loved the church? He died on the cross. Husbands, start loving your wife like that, and I guarantee your marriage will take an upward turn. Start loving yourself, it's going to take a downward turn. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 says this, For this is the will of God. You got it? You say, I'm just trying to figure out the will of God. Here it is. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness. Do you know how to control your own body in holiness? Are you just saying, well, you know, does it doesn't really matter? I don't know. Everybody's doing it or whatever. Holiness and honor, not in, in the passion of lust as the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, if you claim to know God, you've got to act different. You've got to live different. You've got to be different. You've got to be the church. You've got to be the church. Let me show you the eternal picture. There's the writings of the Jews. One of them is called the, the Talmud. Another one is the Mishnah. In the Mishnah, there's a 13th century letter that came attached to it. It said this, When a man cleaves to his wife in holiness, the divine presence is manifested. When a man cleaves to his wife in holiness, the divine presence is manifested. In the mystery of man and woman, there is God. That is so powerful. We've been, we've been given a bill of goods. We've been told it's all just about this attraction thing, having things in common and all of that. Exhaustive study was done by a professor of sociology at the University of Virginia. And, you know, you hear this thing, well, the statistics for Christians and non-Christians are about the same, about 50%. That's not true. That was based on a study that was done by Barna. And here's how he went up to people. said, are you a Christian? And they said, yes. Have you been divorced? Yes. That was how he built it. Let me tell you something. Everybody that says they're a Christian is not a Christian. That doesn't mean they've been born again, transformed by the power of God. See, the real question is not, is not, you know, have you been baptized? Do you go to church? Do you claim to be a Christian? Is when did your life change? If you haven't had a change of life, you have not been saved. I can't even eat a pizza and, not, and, and I know that. Can I have all of God come in me and not know that and not be changed by that? When a man cleaves to his wife in holiness, the divine presence is manifested. In the mystery of man and woman, there is God. Ephesians 5 goes on to say this, So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Instead of thinking, what's good for me, what feels good to me, i got to say, what's good for my wife, what feels good to my wife? He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. 
just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, Paul writes. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Listen to this simple thing. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, respect your husband. Just love and respect. Love and respect. If you don't love your wife, you know, you say, well, I told her I loved her 20 years ago. It's still in vogue unless I revoke it. (laughs) Trust me, that ain't working. Have you ever had one of those moments where you just think, ah, you know, I should probably pray right now, but, you know, I don't really need to pray right now with my wife? Ever had one of those moments? Or I should tell her I love her. Or I should tell him I really respect him and I don't do it. When you, that little feeling of like that little disconnect and you think, well, I should, but I don't. Why do you think you do that? Have you ever stopped to analyze that feeling? That feeling is not coming from God. It's not coming from a person who respects and understands relationships. It's coming from the enemy himself who's trying to say the best way to destroy you is to destroy the relationships in your life. And if I can do that, I can take everything apart. Proverbs says something interesting in 632. It says, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding, and he who does so destroys his soul. What an interesting, interesting scripture. He destroys his soul. Let me show you what what your soul is here. Your soul, if you think about man, God created you as a tripart being, body, soul, and spirit. And your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. In the old King James Version, it used to say, your soul is vexed. Your soul has been vexed. So what happens, it says, when I I go against the grain of what God wants to do, That soulish part of me, my mind, my will, and my emotions are so affected that it starts a a process of destruction. I don't think clearly. You ever know anybody that was just out there, you know, and they're living their life the way they want, and you couldn't reason with them? They were just totally unreasonable. There was logic escaped them. You know why? Because their soul was being destroyed little by little, and they were watching it go down the drain. Because all they could think about was what they wanted. Destroys the soul. Emotions don't work right. Instead of loving children that you, that you, you gave birth to, you turn away from them, and they don't become as important as this relationship. Instead of loving God, it, it becomes secondary to this, this other thing you're driving hard to get because you so want to fulfill this desire. Psalm 106.15, it says that it talked about Israel as they were in the wilderness and they wandered through the wilderness and they were, and it says they lusted in their hearts. But what you, comes next is what you don't expect. God gave them the desires of their heart for evil. You know, sometimes God lets you go into evil, but listen to what the next part of it says. But he sent leanness to their souls. They got what they wanted, but their soul was bankrupt now. And what good does that do? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says this. 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Listen to this. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And the next verse says, And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. You say, well, wait a minute, I've done a couple of those things. Does that mean, you see the idea, if this is the pattern of your life, it indicates, and you can continue doing that without feeling any conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, it demonstrates you've never been born again. If you're engaged in this right now, instantly you'd have to stop. You say, God, I've got to cut this off. How do I do that? I need power, supernatural power. Let's take you to the next thought here, supernatural power. Have you ever heard this little proverb, sow a thought and reap an act? Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. You know what I, I really believe is happening in a lot of people's lives is they're dealing with things that they've made clear choices on, but they're also dealing with generational sins. A lot of the things you do that you said you would never do that your parents did, you do. You notice that? It's, it's like... Up until a certain point, you say, well, I won't be anything like my parents. And then all of a sudden, you wake up one day, and you go, I'm just like my parents. And you go, oh, no. And then you hear your kids say to you, I'll never be like you. And you, with a little smile, think, oh, yes, you will. I have put my stamp on you. And that's for good and for bad, is it not? For good and for bad. I want to show you how to break generational sins. I want to give you just some basic steps, and I'll explain a little bit what that is. In Exodus, it tells us that God visits the inequities to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him. He visits it. In other words, sin has a way of coming back to us, even from pre previous generations. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the first thought. I'm going to give you time to write it down. Identify unhealthy patterns in your life. They can be behavior. They can be thought processes. Identify unhealthy patterns in your life. You see, like an outstanding debt passed on from your parents or grandparents, sins are visited to the third and the fourth generation. But we're talking about something that is beyond learned behavior. You see, we tend to think about the spiritual world over there and the physical world over here, and we never merge these two. And we think we can live like two different worlds, but we can't. And there's a spiritual dimension of you that, is, that affects the physical as well as the physical affects the spiritual. Secondly, make a real decision. Now, let me tell you what a real decision is. It's when you eliminate other options. I'm just going to eliminate other options. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Write this verse down. Deuteronomy, you spell that D-T. Got it? Deuteronomy 30, 19. By the way, all these sermons are on the website. If you want to go back and pick it up, you can. all these are streamed um, or archived there at our website. You can find them. Here's what he says, Deuteronomy 30, 19. Today I am giving you the choice. God says, here's a choice. What are you going to do between a blessing and a curse? 
Well, I don't know about you, but the easy one is, I'll take the blessing, but it requires the right choice. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, you will receive, if you do not, I, you will receive a curse if you reject the commandments of the Lord your God and turn away from His way by worshiping foreign gods. You know what a foreign god is? It's what I want, fulfilling my ego. It's doing what the world says. We have to detox our thought life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Hear that? That's physical. Unto God, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove that which is good and acceptable in the sight of it. You have to prove that unto God by an offering of yourself to God. And then seek, seek. Oh, verbally renounce unhealthy control. Verbally renounce unhealthy control. Why do I say verbally? Because God created the world by what he said. He spoke the worlds into existence, Scripture says. There's more power in speaking than there is thinking. When you pray, if you want to take your prayer life to the next level, you pray out loud. You know why? Because evil spirits, demons, they, can, they, they can't read your mind. But when I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to take authority over my life, I want to get control, I want to get my family on track, I want to protect my children, I am putting all of the powers of darkness on notice. When I say the name of Jesus out loud, I am dispersing darkness and I'm bringing light into the situation. I was telling this to the men's uh, Bible study uh, a couple of weeks ago. I said, guys, you got to get out and pray out loud. Just start praying out loud. And one of my buddies says, hey, we started doing that at our house and it's great. Man, my wife and I walk around praying all the time, but it's scaring the living daylights out of our cats. I said, there may be demon-possessed cats. You may have to pray over them. Maybe baptize them in the pool. Okay, I like dogs better than cats. Right? Okay, let's just stop. How many dog lovers? Raise your hand. Cat lovers? I think we're winning. That's good. On that last day, Jesus said in Matthew 24 that he would separate all the cats from the... Oh, no, that's goats and sheep. I'm sorry. Here's some life applications. Oh, seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. Seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. How do I do that? If you know Christ, what you're going to do is you're going to, first of all, say, Holy Spirit of God... I need your control in my life. I need your filling. I need you to take up every dimension of my life. Fill me. Believe that God is filling you. Rid yourself of the stuff that's taking up space that it doesn't need to be there. Here's some life applications. First one, real healing happens at the cross. Real healing. You can get some counterfeit healing, but ultimately, ultimately, it's going to be the cross. Secondly, unlock spiritual power by confession. You want to get power in your life? I mean, who doesn't? 
I mean, can you imagine this? Would you like to be a powerless Christian? Or would you like to be a powerful Christian? That seems pretty simple, right? When, uh, when Jesus gathered his disciples in that upper room and he brought the cup and the bread, and what he was doing, he was communicating something about power. It was really about power. Because he was saying, when you, when you confess me before men, you will have power. When you recognize that this bread and this cup is all about purity and about resurrection power, you're going to be transformed. So he said, take this, take this bread, and when you do, remember that I died on the cross for your sins. When you take this blood, remember it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us. It is, it is transformational, and when you are transformed and you are pure, you walk in the power of God. And guess what? It also brings us together. It's a great reminder that everybody here had to go by the way of the cross and be cleansed and transformed. He said, but don't take it in an unworthy manner. In other words, examine yourself first and ask yourself, God, is there anything in my life I need to just kind of give over to you? Any sin I need to confess? And then take the cup. We're going to share in communion together, and it's always an adventure. It's always an adventure here at... Uh, at Influence Church because we tend to have narrow aisles and lots of people. And, you know, it's amazing. Um, it really is amazing. In the summer, we're growing and our giving is up. I mean, I don't, it's not supposed to happen, people. But you know what it is? Amen? And if everybody really behaves, we're going to turn on the air conditioner. Actually, it's on. But here's what we want you to do. There's two tables here at the front. And there's one table back in the back on my left. And um, come by and grab uh, a cup and your bread and then make your way back to your seat. And um, um, if you want to save a little bit of space, you can pick it up for, for your wife, your husband, your friend, whoever you're with. But, um, but let's all stand together as we uh, just commit this time to him. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we believe there is a very unique presence that comes because you tell us so when two or more are gathered. There's also something very special that happens when we share communion together. We share it as the body of Christ united. We share it, God, believing that we already started, God. None of, nobody in here is righteous apart from you. All of us are sinners. We take this not judging one another, God. We take it believing that we have been freed from the judgment of sin by the cross by the resurrection. And we celebrate that until you come again, Jesus. So as we take this bread and take this cup, we do it unto you. In Jesus' name. Make your way to one.